Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to your 30-minute break with Jake. This week, I'm going to bring to you an extra 30 minutes of awesome content. This is going to be an epic podcast. I am sitting down with Sam Farrington, and we are going over cryptocurrencies, computer technology, and other advanced stuff that not many people think about nowadays. So stay tuned and enjoy. We are live. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have Sam Farrington. It is, uh, it's been a struggle to get you on here, man. I'm glad I have you here. Hey, I got stuff going on. You know, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. How are we doing today, Sam? Absolutely fantastic. Living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's kick it off. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, well, my name's Sam. Um, Born and raised, for the most part, in Minnesota. Lived all around, realistically, in the United States. And uh, picked up some weird hobbies at a young age. And Oh, yeah. You know, growing up, I kind of went the weird route. I never really went to high school. Mm -hmm. uh, I was homeschooled after uh, eighth grade. So I got a pretty weird perspective, I think, from a, a social standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and okay, in what ways? Well, uh, you know, when you're homeschooled, it's it's very different in the sense that you don't really get that social component. Sure. And we lived in kind of the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So it was double as bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you really had to find something to occupy your time. Sure. And to like, you know, learn about something, you know, you got to do something outside of school. Otherwise, you know, yeah. Get that brain melt sort of thing going on. And that's no true. Fun. True. True. All right. Yeah. Keep going, man. Sorry to interrupt you no, on that. No, no, no problem. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, just, uh, Grew up and all had uh, had a lot of time to myself to kind of think about what I like to do and yep. uh, moved around a lot, like I said. So I got a lot of different perspectives from people. So even though I guess later in my teens I didn't have that super social component. Sure. Earlier I had that really intense social component where I was always making new friends and always learning, you know, different people's social styles and how they interact. Mm -hmm. So as time moved on, you know, I, I did have that social component, but then I didn't. So mm -hmm. I kind of got to develop my own. I was never in a clique, you know what I mean? I was never a jock or, you know, I was fancy <laughs> or any of this kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. I kind of got to think about what I like to do and really sort of try to apply that in the school. And so yeah. when I graduated, I was 16 years old and uh, I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do. That's with, okay. You know, with my life, right? You know, you're thrown <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the wind and you're right. Nobody really does. But sure, yeah. uh, from there, I, I worked for about a year and a half. I worked at, uh, at FedEx and uh, mm -hmm. I was a, a package handler nice worst thing i've ever done in my life it was literally hell nothing oh, like yeah. sitting in a sunbaked trailer that's 140 degrees that is brutal for and, and the crazy part was they only made you work like i think it was like four hours was the daily shift because oh wow because it was so freaking hot and you were to move about like 400 boxes or something Ooh. At, at, an hour yeah it, it was cr it was just terrible and the box could be up to 140 pounds because it was ground well you found out you don't want to do that oh hell no dude. that was <laughs> terrible yeah and that's the crazy thing is like when i was younger like i said i didn't have a lot to do you know socially so i f found out things that i wanted to do and really how it all stemmed for me was when we moved to minnesota again mm -hmm. we had all this extra shit that we didn't need yeah and so you know when you move you pack all this crap that you don't actually want and then when you unpack it like what do we do with this yeah yeah and so we had like this old piece of shit dell mm -hmm. desktop and i was like what the hell am i gonna do with this thing yeah and so i don't know just sitting there i actually remember it very vividly and i just 
I don't know why I opened it up. Maybe because I was like, oh, I can just throw this outside. It'll see what happens if it blows up or something. Yeah. You know? And so I <laughs> sure. pulled it apart and I was like, wow, like everything in here has a purpose. Yeah. Everything yeah. in here does something. It fulfills a goal for the overall system. It's, it, it was really just a, my mind was like, wow, someone designed this and someone knew what this was yeah. and how X worked with Y to make Z happen. Sure. And so when I first opened that up, it was kind of like the, it was a weird, if you ever open up a computer you buy from like Dell or something, you open it up, you get like that chinese smell, you know, it's <laughs> sure. like a plastic smell in there. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, right when that hit me, like I had this whole mental change and I was like, this is what I like to do and this is what I want to learn about. Damn. Okay. I want to learn about everything that's inside of this. I want to understand how every part works. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, I guess I didn't really know what I wanted to do for a career or for college or anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I set my mind to. I was like, I want to build this sure. professionally. I want this to be my hobby, my career, my passion. And as I went about, you know, working and, and finally getting into about 17, 18 years old, and I was like, okay, now it's probably time to go to college, you know, mm-hmm. figure out what I want to do. Mm-hmm. My first year was actually towards a uh computer engineering degree okay and so that was pretty awesome because right away i was thrown into all the crazy things that i really wanted to learn about you know i got into different programming languages like c c plus plus javascript that sort of thing sure and i got into some high level classes i actually maxed out all the classes in my first year to the the top one that they offered Mm -hmm. and i freaking thrived in that environment you know i seen the people around me you know there's a class of 30 and they're all dudes and half of them are like 250 pounds <laughs> and it's like yeah you know just sitting in there and i'm kind of like the fish out of water but i had the most i think ambition probably of anyone in there mm-hmm. i was always the person who was interacting with the professor not because i really had questions but because i wanted to see if he had some other weird goal or task he could give me that would yeah. be like oh this is i can figure this out yeah and learn from him do e- some other exactly. stuff exactly yeah, yeah, this him. extracurricular portion of it sure that would give me like a little bit of an edge because I was curious, you know, when you're really interested in something, you're curious about something. Oh yeah. You put a hundred percent into it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so I thrived in that environment, but at the same time, just like when you start college, you also have to deal with the general sort of bullshit part. Yeah. You know, the, the stupid classes that nobody really cares about. You got to do it though. You got to do it. English basic garbage classes. Yeah. (laughs) And I really struggled with that because I was like, I don't care about any of this stuff. Yeah. And a lot of kids do struggle with that for the same mindset, you know? Exactly. And my first probably two to three semesters outside of the computer portion was a disaster. I mean, I had, my GPA was, it was sub two. It was Mm -hmm. really, really bad. I mean, I was failing classes and it got to the point at which I was academically, academically suspended for a semester. Mm-hmm. And my parents were like super pissed off because... Oh, I'm sure. And, yeah. and they seen that too because they're like, this kid's obviously really fucking smart. Yeah. But I'm really fucking stupid when, I'm, when it came to <laughs> yeah, my grades when you and don't, everything. When you don't have a drive to do exactly, it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so it was like this really weird paradigm where I had this passion. I had the hobby. I was really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was trying to achieve you know, that knowledge piece of it, but everything else I didn't care about. Yeah. And obviously that's good, but really also really bad because you can't do anything with that. True. True. Unless, you know, you come up with some crazy idea and you become like a millionaire overnight or something stupid like that. But that's, (laughs) that's not realistic. I mean, that's like being a a quarterback on a football team. It's like, it's a cool dream to aspire to, but it's a long shot. Yeah. There's like 50 of them out of a hundred thousand. Right. You know, who tried to do that. Yeah. 
and so as I went through college, it really, uh, it, it really was more of a, there was a, a turning point. It was like a snap of the fingers and all of a sudden it was just like, okay, this is ground zero. I got to, I got to figure this shit out. Yep. Just, just, you know, shoulder the wheel and get this thing going. Mm-hmm. And my grades started to turn around. I was never really a super good student at the, it, you know, even through halfway through. And so I got my associate's degree. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all was good. And then I was like, okay, cool. Now that I can't really do anything with that. And that's when I started working for the company we do now. Yeah. And uh, then I went in, went to UW-River Falls and started working towards my bachelor's degree. Sure. And this is kind of where the switch happened, where I was like, computers are cool. I love to work with them. But mm-hmm. I want to do as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, re- the main reasons that actually happened was because one of my professors in my... I don't want to call it a capstone in your two-year degree, but mm-hmm. the, one of those really high-level programming classes, yeah, yeah. basically the, the final Basically one. a capstone. Exactly. Sure. What he told me was engineers aren't people who are typically the creative people they're perceived to be. Mm-hmm. And w- what he meant by that was even if you have these crazy ideas and dreams and goals of what you want to create, when you're an engineer, usually you're just fixing people's problems. And Yeah, or you're just trying to make problems easier for someone else exactly. you know somebody comes to you oh it's, it's basically like a high level help desk kind of person yeah you know yeah yeah I mean? a little more complex but right. essentially an yeah. it person fixes your you know your your software problems how you log in but mm-hmm. your engineer fixes we have a physical problem how can yeah. we make this smaller or how can we you know again make x and y do z mm-hmm. and that really didn't interest me because i was interested in computers and technology i think Except phones, as you've seen. <laughs> I, I'm yeah, not a huge I've noticed that guy. big BlackBerry guy That's coming right. in. I hate, <laughs> I hate cell phones. I think they're, they're amazing, and I think they yeah. provide so much utility. But at the same time, I think it's, in, in a way, I think it's also detrimental because you oh, yeah. see people who are not, I, what's the word to even use? You see people who are so unused to having that much utility and access in they're front of them. They're too much. Exactly. Yeah. It becomes almost like an addiction. It becomes like gambling. Yeah. And it, I see the same yeah. behavior. Yeah. It's nuts. <laughs> and, and and the funny part was when I first started at the company that we work for now, there was actually people who were physically addicted to gambling. And every day on their break, they would be in the lunchroom and they'd be freaking playing online poker and all this stuff. Oh I'm my like, God. This is incredible. It's awful, man. And then, you know, with the advent <laughs> of like all this social media stuff, and I'm not even talking about MySpace, but you know, you get Facebook and then you get everything else. You get Twitter and Instagram and this and that. I don't even know. There's a hundred of these different things. Yeah. And, and, and all these, and then it became, you know, dating and this dating social media stuff like Tinder and all Bumble and all these other weird things. Yeah. It became like trendy and cool to basically yep. sit on these websites all day and just do all this stuff. And that's kind of what boiled into me is like, yeah, cell phones are awesome. You can do anything on them. Yeah. But it's like 99% of the people they do completely pointless stuff on them. Yeah. It, it, it's and then today, what does it mean? Like, yes, it's it, like you said, it's a waste of time. Exactly. Yeah. And not many people realize that and they rely on it so much. Yep. And it, it just sucks your life away, dude. And you look at it like you just think of how much time you spend looking yep. at your phone. I could have like, you, like you're building computers. You can apply that to doing something else. Sure. Or learning a new hobby, you know, taking up classes, doing something that will apply towards your life. Right. Instead of looking at what other people are doing. It's, I mean, I'm guilty of doing it too. Like sure. I have Instagram, whatever, but 
it's sad dude and i'm starting yep. to realize that like oh shit this is <laughs> such a waste of time but it, i mean it is what it is it's our generation and we rely on that stuff way too much yep but yep. you're exactly right and and you brought up a really good point is it's that people it used to be back in the day like in high school i mean mm-hmm. from the stories i heard it'd be oh the cool kid has a cool car and you know we have like a social click around it but now it's so many people live these lives that aren't real it's not that they have wealthy parents or whatever and they're mm-hmm. the cool person or they dress cool or they walk cool or they talk cool or whatever but it's it gives a platform for people who have just this level of of toxic attention needing yep. behavior mm-hmm. and so you get people who do stupid shit like go out and rent a car every week mm-hmm. and say oh look at this new car that i bought i'm a millionaire <laughs> yeah. look at this mansion that i rented but this i didn't say i'm going to rent it i own this mansion look yep. at me it's... here's my five tips to success right right and uh it it, it really it gives a platform for those people who are very negative to society mm-hmm. the very uh uh, toxic it, toxic <laughs> eccentric and very narcissistic yeah 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 and it really breeds that kind of behavior because you mm-hmm. have a generation of people who are growing up without significant role models yeah and their role models then become social fake. media yeah these fake people who don't exist so exactly all these kids are growing up to aspire to be something that really isn't attainable for probably pretty close to 100 percent of people oh absolutely and it's such a it's just such a fake image and everybody like you said people are looking looking up to these people like these influence right you know yep exactly what are they gonna do for you yeah. i mean yeah you can buy their brands and stuff but what's it gonna do yep and that's the <laughs> hilarious part like on snapchat if you go over to the stores mm-hmm. everybody's selling merchandise oh it's my god always a shirt there's always the hat <laughs> there's always stickers or something that you buy yeah hey check out my new clothing line swipe up to find out how mm-hmm. like are you kidding me it's nuts it's yeah it's ridiculous and and that kind of feeds into the whole cell phone thing is it's like that is so much part of the cell phone not cell phone, the smartphone. I mm-hmm. think that's the way to put it is it's like, I almost want less of it. And that's why yeah. I almost kind of regress into being like, I want a dumb phone, like a flip phone or a Blackberry or something that doesn't even have those capabilities. Just pull yourself out of it. Because I don't even want to be put into that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's just the social media aspect of it. You know, when you think about all of the kind of the, the tracking that goes on all the applications and I'm not even talking like from a tin foil hat perspective, mm-hmm. I'm talking like when you sign up for, you know, when you first log into your phone, it literally asks you, hey, these are our terms and conditions. Can we track you like every application you use or can we just track the anonymous applications that you use? So we can't personally identify you, but we still can basically see what you're doing anyways. So, okay, I'm going to ask you a question on this topic. Sure. How how often is it that companies are tracking you through these apps without people even knowing? Oh my God, it, it is probably, I would say, I was going to say every time you pick up your phone, but then I realized not everybody picks up their phone every probably minute. Sure. So I would say probably every minute. Wow. And the incredible part is I actually found this out not recently, but probably about six months ago mm-hmm. is that you can go into your Google account, your Google, you know, you go and log into your Gmail or whatever. And if you go into your account, your settings and security settings or whatnot, there's a way you can actually download all of your data. I'm talking like hundred percent of all the data from all your applications. Oh my gosh. It would blow your goddamn mind. And it's good. Everything's good through Google, man. Everything is. Everything is. Snapchat is owned by Google. Yeah. I mean, almost every application, if you have an Android phone, everything you do is logged by Google. Every picture you take oh that syncs is logged by Google. Every call you make, every text you make, it all gets synced through their instant messenger or mm-hmm. their cloud service or whatever. And if you go into these, uh, you know, download your data, you can actually view it. 
I'm not even kidding you. Just the amount of data that that Snapchat logs on you. It and I can't say that it keeps made not at least from my accessible end keeps you know records of your conversations. But every person you've ever talked to, there is a timestamp. That is insane. Every person. So you know Snapchat's like this anonymous platform kind of where you like you know, delete it's all, all the stuff. It's all hidden. It's gone after right. a couple of seconds. But there is a record that you communicated with someone Holy when shit. you communicated with them, who you communicated <laughs> with. Yeah. If you had a call, you know, like a, a Snapchat call, how long the duration was. Um, There's nothing private about no, anything anymore. Absolutely not. And and that's just Snapchat. And the crazy part is, it geologs every one of those events. So it knows where you everywhere are. Everywhere you are. It knows exactly where it is, and it all gets synced. And Google Maps, every time you go somewhere, every time you visit the same place, it creates like a point of interest. Mm -hmm. Everything constantly is logged. And the crazy part is most people don't know it. And if you pull this data, you can pull it into like Google Maps. You can see every place that you've gone, every place you've walked, you've driven, all in a nice little cute Google Maps over. Oh, yeah, they just make like it look nice. Yeah, just like you're going to go, oh, I want to go to, you know, McDonald's 40 miles away. It draws like a nice little route for you. Yep. It shows you everywhere you've been, like a heat map. And it's incredible because it's oh. all there. Jesus. So even when people think, oh, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to use an anonymous pseudonym on Snapchat or yeah. I'm going to, you know, use a fake email or I'm going to do this and that, or I'm going to turn my phone off at night. So I don't get the, everything's still being logged. Yeah. Like there's, there's no hiding it. Wow. Um, shit, dude, that's, <laughs> there's no way of going off the grid without literally no. getting rid of everything. And yeah. And that's the shame is, is cell phones. They provide so much utility is that yep. so many of the things are good. Like email. That's awesome. You can constantly communicate. You can text message. You can call, you can listen to your music. Mm hmm. You know, but then with all this convenience, it's like your privacy gets stripped away. And yeah. then people are in people. That's what I've learned are willing to give that up. Absolutely. Especially with that, that big scandal that Facebook had with selling information and giving information to people. And they're exactly. still on that platform. Yep. And the people, yeah, you sign up and you go through terms. Like you said, nobody reads that shit, nope. but it comes down to them even putting that in the terms. Mm hmm. I remember I, I, I was listening to something recently and Google's in their terms and condition. It said, do not be evil. And they removed it from their terms. Why the fuck was that even there? <laughs> and why did they remove it since they already put it there? You know, because they know it's a joke and nobody looks at it. But th that's still it's like, don't be evil. Yeah, like, I, I get it. It's Google. They do weird shit like that. But still, it's it's wild, man. That's, but um, wow. Yeah, it, it's nuts. That's one of those weird things <laughs> where it's like. How do you even define what evil is? Right, it's right. such a speculative term. It is. It it almost makes you question the whole not necessarily legality, but validity of that entire license agreement slash yeah. privacy policy. Yeah. Because no one has I, I almost guarantee you anyone who listens to this or you and I, we've probably never read a license agreement. Who would, man? I mean Exactly. It's hundreds of pages, a boilerplate, and then they sprinkle in a little bit of this. We might log you. We might take mm -hmm. anonymous or non-anonymous data from you. Right. And no one has time for that. Or maybe they do, but they don't care anyways. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, that's kind of why I keep going back to the thing. Well, maybe I just get rid of the whole that side of the cell phone part. And I don't blame you, dude. Limit myself to that I don't. exposure. I mean, the BlackBerry thing, you know, it's a little little uh, throwback. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, no, even <laughs> true back in 2004... Yeah, but no, this, with you going through this information and me just like soaking some of this in, it's just like, why am I still on there? You know, yep. it's crazy. Um, all right, let's jump to something else here. Mm -hmm. 
let's jump back to so you build computers currently sure yes and you've kind of told me a little bit about them mm-hmm. um in person but dude i'm dumb you need to dumb it down a little bit for me sure <laughs> okay absolutely let's uh where do you start when you're building computers um do you start with like a budget what you want it to do um just go with it. What, what do you got sure so typically when i build a pc it's more of a budget perspective okay because and what's i know a, what's a typical budget um i would say like a a lower budget a low budget build it's probably 500 bucks okay i would say a realistic low budget to where you're not like cutting corners just simply to cut corners throw mm-hmm. something together probably about a thousand okay um from there sky is really the limit it depends on what you want to go i'd say like a mid upper tier system is probably between a thousand and two thousand that's mm-hmm. going to get you pretty damn good performance and that's you building it or me personally it? yeah gotcha. no. i and and that's the thing is like these uh you know these manufacturers it's probably a a 50 percent markup mm-hmm. for, from what you would say maybe it's more maybe it's less but i'd say in general you'd expect about 50 percent more than what you could build it for okay and um so yeah that one to two thousand is probably the mid upper range and then really anything above two thousand is probably considered your relatively high-end system and mm-hmm. of course you can go up to i mean without just spending money for the sake of spending money probably in the range of five to eight thousand so i mean things can get pretty damn pricey a decent car that's right exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> holy shit and so that's the budget perspective but mm-hmm. that's because i already know how i want to use it or what i want to do sure yep and my use case is very different from other people i like computers because i like to build cooling solutions for them and i like to make them run really 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 fast by overclocking them and explain uh, that okay you can continue sure, to talk but sure. explain that right okay, that's interesting so overclocking we'll come back to that and i like computers simply because of the per- performance perspective how sure. fast can i make something go mm-hmm. uh, with no constraints no thermal constraints no none of the you know normal constraints that you have how fast can something go with current generation technology okay so my builds typically are in the two to five thousand dollar range okay you know but typically for the normal consumer person who just likes, you know, it's very gaming is very common now on PCs. It used to be kind of yeah. like that fringe sort of thing. Like, yeah. oh, you must be a big fat 35 year old guy to do <laughs> Play that. Play Sims all day. Yeah. Or World of Warcraft or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But now it's evolved to where it's everything, it, everything and everything's going on to PC. Now PC yep. has become so popular and trendy and everything's got all these cool little uh, RGB LEDs on it. And mm-hmm. there's lights and colors. And it's like, mm-hmm. Ooh, wow. It's like Check out my build, man. Yeah, it's like a casino basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow look at all these cool fancy lights and colors yep and uh so really i would say for the most part most people looking into gaming but really boils down to what you want to do if you're into like uh if you do make videos for example you're going to have a completely different build or a set of uh, specifications that your system is going to have versus someone who's for gaming sure for the most part yeah or uh if you're doing like a workstation you know you're using it for business use you're going to have different types of memory and you're going to have more focus on uh, on on reliability of the hardware mm-hmm. you know reproducibility of calculations sure. versus simply raw speed gotcha and uh you're gonna have huge price differences on on all these kind of things because if you build for example depending on the software you use or blah 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 let's say i i'm a youtube person mm-hmm. and i just want to render videos i shoot them and i render them and i put them on youtube you know, your focus might just be on having a really, really fast processor. So you spend a thousand dollars on a processor to get one of the fastest ones that you can possibly get. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's ridiculously fast. Uh, you could have your whole build thrown together for like 1500. If you just really spent every penny you have on that one part and then everything else is like, eh, as long as it supports mm-hmm. it, it's fine. Sure. 
you're doing a high-end gaming system and you don't have any budget, you could go, you know, that five to 8,000 range. Sure. If you're building a server, you might just put a bunch of memory storage, physical storage, like solid state drives and hard drives mm-hmm. or, and, uh, and, and, and RAM. So like access, access memory, instant mm-hmm. real time. Um, you might put 128 gigabytes of RAM in there and it might cost you a thousand dollars for that, but everything else, the CPU, the processor, uh, and the graphics might be garbage or not even existent. Sure. Again, you could really go in any sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. You could go yeah. all the way to the floor. Sure. Um, so again, two perspective, two perspectives really. It boils down to your budget and what you're going to use it for. Okay. And that pretty much denotes everything that you're going to go for, unless okay. you have just some idea in your mind. You know, and this is like really top tier, advanced kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. if you have like a specific image of what you want, for example, mining Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. you would build a completely different type of system you might have a completely garbage processor mm-hmm. you might have a motherboard that is garbage but it has lots and lots of slots for graphics cards okay but you're going to have maybe five thousand dollars of graphics cards so your rest of your system might be worth like three hundred dollars but your graphics cards can be super super expensive because those do the brunt of the work the calculations okay. the verifying gotcha what they call mining quote-unquote mm-hmm. is also referred to as hashing quote-unquote okay. because you're basically verifying blocks on the network it's really complicated but really simply it's basically you're putting your computational power of your system out there for anyone to use on this network or this blockchain mm-hmm. in exchange for your time if you work in a pool, which means that tons of people bring their computers together and all work towards a single common goal, mm-hmm. everybody gets a share of that work time. When you do it alone or solo mining, as sure. it's called, you're basically using that horsepower that you have, but you're also playing a little bit of a game of chance. Because when you work in a pool, you get a specific share of how much you work. So if I'm one of 10 people and I my computer's one-tenth the speed of the mm-hmm. pool... I get one-tenth of the reward. Okay. But if I'm doing it alone, I get the whole pie to myself. So if I'm really lucky and I mine that transaction, because remember, everybody's fighting to mine this transaction, including mm-hmm. the pools. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure you're going to have to be really, really fast, but you're also going to have a, a little sprinkle of luck in there. But if you get it, you get the whole pie to yourself. Wow. Okay. So, you know, it's not for everybody. It's yeah. really expensive to do that. And mm-hmm. you're also kind of gambling a, a smidge. But, you know, that's... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, cryptocurrency, it's, man, it is just mind blowing to it's, me. It's incredible, and it's not all mined either. Um, there's a lot of them. So, Bitcoin's your number one. Just, and the reason I think that is, is it's starting to show its age mm-hmm. for two reasons. First off, it's just old. It's got its first mover advantage. The thing mm-hmm. came out, and I think it was late mid '08, really early '09, and it probably wasn't until probably about 2010 to 2011. Really, anybody even knew what it was. Okay, except super niche fringe people that were in that circle already of like these weird decentralized blockchain technologies sure now cryptocurrencies i'm going to go out back on what i just said there so blockchain is basically the technology where cryptocurrencies are built off and really why they're all considered to be oh this is really cool and you know neat and Mm -hmm. there's a there's a niche for this sure and essentially what a blockchain is is it's just like a ledger and what a ledger is, as far as cryptocurrency is concerned, is it's just like a register on a checkbook. Right. So when I send you money, mm-hmm. there is a record, a constant, undeniable record for every transaction that ever occurs on a network. 
Okay. So I might give you a check with $5 or give you $5 equivalent of cash. There's a record that I gave you money. Okay. So if you think about that, that also means that I received $5 from someone else. So there's always a traceable backlog of where things came from all gotcha. the way to the initial transaction of the network called the Genesis block. And okay. that basically means where money initially came from. Okay. Or unless you mined it. Because that means money's always being introduced in the system until it runs out. Explain that. Explain mining. Sure. So mining from a an abstract sense is essentially providing security to the network. And what that means is, like I just said, when we do a transaction mm -hmm. and we have this log that's being created, mm -hmm. who's to say that I couldn't have someone right next to me that does the same transaction in exactly the same exact instance mm -hmm. who takes precedence in that matter. And so basically that brings into account a, a concept called the double spend. Okay. So if I could send the same transaction two times at exactly the same second and nobody could verify that. It'd be one transaction. Exactly. And you'd have unlimited money. So basically how it works huh. is you use this network it's a decentralized network which means that no one runs it on most of them some of them are centralized some of them sure. aren't some of them are a conglomerate between both of the centralized and decentralized yeah and essentially you're using your computational power to verify the transactions along with everybody else to make sure that the security of the network is the primary focus so a healthy network like bitcoin or unhealthy it depends on how you view it and there's a little bit of reason for that is because most people don't realize is that most of the mining is done by these huge mega, not corporations, but mining conglomerates. Okay. And they actually build the hardware themselves. Okay. Like it's, it's, it's really crazy. Pretty to nuts. Think about. It's really crazy. Yeah. You have billion dollar companies whose sole purpose is mining Bitcoin. So it's like, how does anyone compete against that? Yeah, you really can't. And so that brings in the question, the network security, because if you have one person or one company who's mining almost half of the, the hash rate or the performance of that network, mm -hmm. technically speaking, they could either verify the transactions or choose not to. Okay. So that undermines the entire validity of the network to an extent. And what I mean by that is, let's say that that ledger, there's a third party, not me, not you, but just like this third party who isn't a person, but just like open, you know, just like real open markets. There's like this, the, the black hand or the, the, the invisible hand in the sure, back, right? Sure. What if there's that third person, that invisible person that doesn't exist, that's always watching to make sure that transactions actually exist and okay. that actually go through? And that's basically the miners. Okay. So providing that that hand that always guides everything to make sure that X does go to Y and that we have a verifiable transaction that X actually did pay Y. Yeah. There's a backlog of that that anyone can view. It's a public ledger, so anyone who's anyone can view that in the case of Bitcoin. Sure. That's basically what, what mining provides is that security to the network and essentially the ability to transact. So when I send a transaction, it goes to like this third party invisible hand and it gets verified and it gets sent to you. Okay. And it says, okay, yep, this person really did send the network money and you got it. Everything's fine. We're going to make this uh, a public. We're going to put it on the ledger. Here you go. Here's your transaction ID. Look it up. Anyone can see that. Okay. So... Do you have more to add to this? Otherwise, I have another question for no, you. Go for it. Go for how it. How would you? So, how do you convert cryptocurrency or Bitcoin into physical cash? Mm -hmm. 
because that's another topic that I feel like a lot of people, yeah, you can say, oh, I, I just bought Bitcoin. Ooh, like now what do I do with it? Do I sit on it? Is it a stock at this point? Like how do you convert that to cash if you want to sell out or do something along those lines? Sure. So as time has gone on, I originally purchased my first Bitcoin back in about 2011. And that was like the boom, correct? That was before anything. So that was the tail that started it. Yeah, it was about $11. And now what is it, like eight grand or something? about 8,000. Peaked at around 19,900, I believe. Now, I wasn't smart enough and I didn't have, you know, I was pretty young at the time. It was a very small investment. Yep. And I never kept it long enough. I, I played around with it and I got rid of it from only a few months in. So I never really seen any gain from that, Mm -hmm. but I had the exposure to it long, long ago. And I think what Bitcoin really provides, unlike a stock or a normal commodity, even compared to gold, is that it's a very, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, It's a very different type of asset. Yeah. And what I mean by that is it gives... You and I, for the first time, or any person, for the first time in human history, the ability to have true freedom over your own money. And what I mean by that is you're no longer constrained to a bank account. Mm -hmm. You're no longer constrained to fiat currency, the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. So if the United States government defaults on its loans and it crashes, Mm -hmm. however unlikely that may be, the value of the currency, realistically, is not pegged to anything. It's Nothing. floating in midair. Yep. And just about every other currency in the world is pegged to likely the U.S. dollar. Yep. I think it's called a dirty float currency. Okay. And most, almost every currency in the world is a dirty float currency. If that I'm makes correct. sense. Yeah. And so you do have fluctuations, but mm-hmm. for the most part, they're very pegged to the U.S. dollar. So, for example, in 08, when the stock market crashed mm-hmm. and everything else crashed, bond yields, blah, blah, blah. Everything else crashed. Why wasn't there a single country that was like, oh, we don't have that much exposure to the United States. You know, we're, we're, we, you know, we got a little bit of a dip, right? But we're okay. Mm -hmm. No, everybody got basically blasted. Yeah. It's because everything is tied together. And as we move on with technology and the world becomes a smaller and smaller place, everybody's got their fingers and everything else. And so you have that freedom of, of really true control of your own money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, essentially when you hold Bitcoin, it goes into this thing called a wallet. It's basically okay. like an encrypted, almost like an encrypted text file. I hate okay. to say it, but yeah. it's really that kind of that simple. Sure. And you have a thing called a private key. Okay. And the only way you can use what's in that wallet or that little piece of paper, digital paper, is to basically type that private key into your wallet and it decrypts it. And then you can either send or receive you can create new addresses to receive it or you can send your money okay and only if you have that private key can you do anything with it there's no bank that's behind that so once again it's your money and you lose that private key though it's, it's not your money it's not your money <laughs> exactly Ex- yeah. that's exactly right it's, okay. it's true freedom with no constraints attached you lose it you lose it you lose your key you lose it you forget your seed for other currencies it's not a key you create like a 30 word long password mm-hmm you use that to get in there. You lose it. You lose it. Okay. But at the same time, no banks. There's no responsibility from anyone else. Mm-hmm. There's no governments behind it that control the the rate of inflation, the deflation, whatever it is. There's no government that is tied to this currency. Mm-hmm. And then you also get the transferability of this money. Okay. Because if you think about it, 
what other means of of currency or value exchange do you have outside of what I just said? Mm -hmm. And really, a lot of people say gold or like precious metals. But the problem with precious metals is they're bulky, they're heavy, and you physically have to have them. Very true. I mean, imagine a situation where you actually had to pay with gold. Oh, hey, let me just whip <laughs> out my, you know, four ounce gold bar. I know that I only want a piece of clothing, so I'm going to have to like get a saw out and cut off my part <laughs> yeah, of my bar. Yeah, you have to melt it down and then get a little bit right. out of it it's for you. It's unrealistic. It it's is. It's not yes. real. The reason gold has value like that is because you have that means of exchange into currency. Okay. I That's at least why I believe that. Sure. That makes sense. Because if you didn't, just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you have to have some means to barter with because mm -hmm. me selling you a hat in exchange for a keyboard, there's very few people who want to make that trade because right. very few people might want that commodity or whatever it is. Sure. Gold, I think, is generally in terms of society, a much more accepted, you know, it's, oh, it's gold. It's, 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 it's been gold. around forever. It right. has that, that standard and that stigma. Yes. It's like, yes. For, it's just like Bitcoin and that's a first mover kind of advantage sort yep. of gold is gold. Bitcoin is Bitcoin. Exactly. People who know what it is, know what it is. Sure. But at the same time, you also, like I just said, have that problem of it's very hard to use as an actual currency. Yeah. Because unless you have like a third party that actually governs oh, here's one ounce of gold. This is what it's worth. It's very hard to, A, figure out what the value of that gold is mm -hmm. or any other precious metal. And it's very difficult to transact in that because you don't have that barter piece where a dollar's worth a dollar or mm -hmm. a Bitcoin's worth a Bitcoin. And I can say, you know, I'll buy a thousand cans of pop for a Bitcoin. Sure. It's worth $8,000. I can compare what that actually means. Okay. And so, like I was saying, with Bitcoin, you have that transactable sort of part to it it's mm -hmm. easy to send i can send it to you or me now as bitcoin has grown up over the last decade it's become more and more used mm -hmm. and i'm not quite sure why it is i'm not sure if it's kind of the bureaucracy and the people who develop bitcoin yeah the, the team that's behind it because it's an open source project which means that kind of any of these people really can push updates and fix it and make it better mm -hmm. there's so much bureaucracy behind bitcoin that it detracts away from the improvements and ease of use and so it's become very slow mm -hmm. and it has become very costly to transact and what i mean by that is when i send you a transaction like i was saying earlier that's an invisible hand of the miners basically that makes sure that transaction mm -hmm. goes through mm -hmm. you pay a fee for that a very small fee not all cryptocurrencies do that sure but you pay what used to be a very small fee used to be pennies. And that was one of the big things like, oh, geez, I can transact a, a million dollars for two cents. Mm -hmm. And it can be to you almost instantaneously. But now since it becomes so much use, even with so many miners that are working on, you know, verifying the transactions, it takes you it maybe takes you hours or days to receive a transaction on Bitcoin. And it might cost wow. you tens or even at its peak, I think it was $100 to Whoa. do a transaction. Sure. And so in there's, you know, variability that depends on, you know, what performance pace you want, you know, your transaction to be sent through. Does it need to be in a snap of a finger or can mm -hmm. it wait for two days or whatnot? Sure. And, you know, the different cryptocurrencies offer different perspectives of this as well. Some are truly free. Some are truly free to transact money. Okay. Some have fees. Some have different benefits as well. Um, Bitcoin is, I think, popular because it simply has first mover advantage and it just has that you know, availability piece. Everyone knows where it is. And any 
uh, you were asking, how do I get Bitcoin or, or how do I use it? How do you know it has value? Mm -hmm. Really, it's actually kind of a weird idiom because I think the thing that's given it value and this real true accessibility to the masses mm -hmm. is government acceptance. And that's really strange because it's this regulation piece that allows for true non-scammy exchanges to exist, just like you trade on you know, Scott trade or E-Trade or whatever you're using, your platform. Mm -hmm. It's the regulation and the acceptance, I think, from the government that allows people to trust these platforms right. to get them these currencies. I'm going to give you, Mr. Exchange, $1,000. I want $1,000 equivalent of Bitcoin at market price. Mm -hmm. Without that regulation piece, I think people would be very scared because long time ago, I think it was 2012, there's a exchange called Mt. Gox, mt.gox. Okay. And it was hacked and a huge portion of Bitcoin was stolen. Tons, tons wow. and tons and tons and tons. I think it's billions of dollars in today's money. And uh, oh, I think for the most part, the attack was mitigated. I, I don't quite, my history is kind of blurry on it. I think there was a thing called a fork. And basically what that means is the developers finally got together, did something about it. And they're like, we're going to you know split bitcoin off and move it in in this branch and that's sure. sort of a, a thing in the nature of open source software is that there's things called forks anyone can make a, a div diverging version of that software and improve okay. on it and uh so i think people both are untrusting of exchanges in a lot of ways mm -hmm. just as they're untrusting of a lot of other people and uh I, I would say that it really is kind of that government intervention piece for most people that has also gone to the masses. And what I mean by that is you have CNN or CNBC or all like money talk or fast money or money, whatever the heck the show is called. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're talking about it. And I think the reason they're talking about it is because the government's finally starting to at least say that it's a real thing. Sure. And that gives people kind of comfort. It's knowing that their assets are involved in that. If you're a normal investor slash normal consumer. Now, mm -hmm. if you're someone who's, you know, like the libertarian perspective, they're like, I just want complete freedom of my money. Screw mm -hmm. government, screw banks, you know, screw everybody. The yep. whole world can burn to the ground, basically. <laughs> Anarchy, you know, great. Yeah. Uh, that is another huge perspective, I think. And that's really how I think Bitcoin really got started is you had this really powerful libertarian self-control movement where people were like, wow we can really renovate and completely change the financial system of the world by using these currencies that are decentralized with mm -hmm. no government backing, no bank backing. It's simply a true, really for the first time, currency that is truly an open free market type of currency. It's yours. It's exactly right. It's exactly yeah. right. It's yours. It is yours. You control it. You control where it goes. No one controls the network. That's the idea anyways. And that's why you have so many of these different currencies that are trying to fulfill that niche. Some of them are more focused on privacy. Mm -hmm. Some of them are focused on incredibly cheap fees. You know, I can send you $500 million for basically nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are focused on vanity. For example, I think that's mainly the investment in Bitcoin has become more vanity. It's, it's, it's like the gold of the world. It's gold yeah. because it's gold. It's sure. Bitcoin because it's Bitcoin. It may not be a very fast network and you probably wouldn't use it on a you know, point of sale system because it's unrealistic, but it's still Bitcoin and it's got the name and it's got the history behind it. And it's proven that it's continually, well, I mean, for the most part, grown in price. Yes, there's been bubbles, but 
almost always consistently it's an upward trend it's always an upward trend exactly do you ever see us as a country moving to that as a currency is it zimbabwe that has bitcoin as a currency uh, I'm not quite sure which country that would I, be, but I think I know what you're talking about. It might be Venezuela because their currency has been co- completely collapsing. You've seen a huge uptick may, in, in crypto. It could be quoted on that. I'm not 100% sure, but could you ever see that happening? Or do you see the dollar be holding, like you said, it's pretty much the standard across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see that holding that high of value to the point where you cannot get rid of it or you can't transfer that to Bitcoin and make that your currency across the country. Mm -hmm. I think the way that I would probably explain it is that just in the way that we used to use checks, money in terms of probably even credit cards to an extent, but Mm -hmm. cash especially will also go the same way. You ask somebody 50, 60, 100 years ago, you know, whatever that would have been, I don't know, 1950s, whatever. Do you think we'll ever live in a world without checks? They'd probably be like, you're out of your mind. Right. You know, if you go Everyone down to... Everyone relied on a check as a paper trail. It was, it was easy. Exactly, it worked. You know? Exactly. It worked. But the problem with checks is there's that trust piece. There's mm-hmm. that third party. You can write a fake check. Mm-hmm. And, and you can walk away. And walk away. Exactly. Yeah. That's why checks really got phased out, I think. Mm-hmm. Because they were slow. Very slow. <laughs> Technically, I mean, compared to cash or credit card, they're hard to use. Yeah. You know, it's not like you just slide it in. It's and cumbersome. It's, exactly. You're writing you a gotta check. You got to have a pen. You got to, you know, make sure. And nowadays, you know, when you write a check at Costco or whatever, they got to scan it through a thing. And it's, yeah. you know, it's a whole process. It, it sucks. Yeah. It's slow. And it's, it's just, it's going to It's not get, efficient. Yeah. And it that's why work. it was phased out. Yeah. I mean, I think I've probably written maybe two or three checks in my entire life. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. I mean, that it basically shows that checks for the most part have completely failed as a sure. means of trans- transaction and then sure. they're not guaranteed either yeah so it's like you're t- you're taking a chance as well i would never accept a check on craigslist that's what i mean <laughs> it, it, it's like if you can't trust the money yeah why are you accepting it that's kind of going back to like what we talked about today when you got when you went you got your apartment they wanted a money order yep exactly so if you were to write a check they wouldn't have accepted it exactly um and, and cash is obviously, you know, like it's it's viable. It's there. Yep. Printing a bill is not the easiest thing. And mm-hmm. it's not something that we think of all the time. But people forging checks and having fraudulent money, that's easy. Yep. You know? Exactly. So, yeah, to your point, I, I, it's phased. It's gone. Mm-hmm. So going back and asking someone 50 years ago, do you ever see checks? I'm, I'm sure you're going to talk to you about, do you ever see cryptocurrency at this point now? Yeah. And in my opinion, from gathering what you've given me, cryptocurrency allows you to actually hold your assets Mm -hmm. in your own hand. Well, not physically, but in your own hand. And it allows you to take that money and do what you will with it. Exactly. If you want to hold it, if you want to invest it, do whatever. Exactly. You can. Um, And with that, do you... So if I were to buy Bitcoin, if I were to mine Bitcoin and I just sat on it... Mm -hmm. Is it going to increase in value or I need to keep touching it to work with it? No, you could totally do that. And, okay. and, and many years ago, I think it was back in 13, 2013 or 2014 when the first real explosion in terms of Bitcoin's evaluation happened. Yeah, all the hype. Yep. There was people who mined Bitcoin just kind of on the offhand because, you know, they were computer enthusiasts and they wanted to see how much Bitcoin they could mine in a week or whatever. And they would just sit on it and they'd have these old hard drives with it. And you've seen a lot of people become millionaires really over the course of a couple months. It's crazy. Something that at really one point maybe was worth a couple of dollars. I'm like, yeah, I'm not even going to worry about it. You know, why even try to find an exchange and sign up and all this stuff? 
to all of a sudden it was, I'm literally a millionaire because I did something by accident Mm -hmm. many, many years ago or, you know, whatnot. And, uh, you know, the, the atmosphere around it has really changed as well because to mine cryptocurrency, it's an easy thing to get into. The barriers to entry are very low, Okay. but to really make your return on investment for the most part, you really have to be involved in it. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, take an office computer and mine cryptocurrency. No, mm-hmm. you, you have to build, for the most part, a purpose-built computer for that. Yep. And you have to find out which currency is the most efficient to mine on your hardware using a certain algorithm. And you have to compute out, you know, when's your return on investment time? Is it even possible? You have to factor in electricity costs, appreciation, depreciation of the currency. And that's another thing is that I didn't mention this, but one of the main draws to get away from fiat currency is also that inflation piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the mid eighties, you know, a dollar compared to now, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe four to one or something like that. Yeah. You know, it just money naturally quote unquote growing in a bank account interest. Yeah. Side by side with the economy, it just yeah. works its way through. Right. It. Yeah. You don't have that with Bitcoin or most cryptocurrencies because sure. they have a, a, a thing called an emission curve. Okay. An emission curve is basically, it's almost like an algorithm that as you mine more and more of the cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. it gets harder and harder to mine. So eventually you reach almost like a, an asymptote. Sure. It grows and then it eventually starts to flatten out. And Plateaus, taper out. yeah. Exactly. So the supply is, for most cryptocurrencies, limited. Not all of them are. Some of mm-hmm. them truly do have infinite growth. Mm-hmm. But their difficulty usually does get more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sustains the price. That's like Bitcoin. For example... Uh, Bitcoin, you can, I think there's 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist. And uh, basically, as time goes on, and you mind learn more of those. Dog break. We got a dog coming in the room here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as time goes on and more of those are mined, yep. it becomes more and more difficult for that to continue happening. Okay. And one of the ways that Bitcoin actually does this is that over time, not only does it get harder to mine, mm-hmm. but the reward called the block reward basically mm-hmm. it gets halved over periods of time every sure. x amount of blocks that are mined it halves and so you used to mine 50 <laughs> bitcoin now yeah. you mine 25 then you mine 12 then you mine six then you mine three one okay. and a half and it goes down okay and uh, I, I believe that the the current numbers are like uh 2050 or 2040 okay people think that eventually that will be the end sure there won't be any left and I think one of the ways that people derive value from Bitcoin in terms of like financial analysis from yeah. an investment pr- perspective is that over the course of time, how much money will it take to mine a Bitcoin? Sure. And then from that, you can backtrack to how okay. much it's worth. Okay. That makes sense. So, so if, so if you, you get to that point where you're spending, say, $10,000 for exactly. $9,000 worth of Bitcoin. Exactly. That's the reverse on it. Okay. So, you, okay. That exactly. makes sense. So if you can calculate or at least assume how much it will cost in electricity costs and hardware costs and appreciation for someone to actually want to mine that. Okay. You're effectively finding out how much Bitcoin will be worth either now or in the future. Okay. And that's, what's cool about it is that we kind of have a a relatively rough estimate of how fast they're going to be mined, Mm -hmm. how fast the network hash rate grows. So the performance of the network grows. And we know that the block rate or the block uh, reward is halved. Sure. So we can kind of get an idea of how much it's going to cost over a period of time. Yeah. And uh, if, if you truly believe that, 
it's pretty much guaranteed that in the long term, Bitcoin will be incredibly valuable. I mean, and I'm not, you know, here to offer investment advice, but if you continue to follow the value of Bitcoin, both in its technical analysis of the price action, the cost of mining, the cost of electricity, and the cost of the network actually just to continue mining, I mean, you could be looking at 50000 you could be looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. Simply by that natural growth piece. Sure. But, you know, that's just like any other investment vessel. It's, it is, you know, you're taking a risk. It is, yeah. It might not pan out that way. Yeah, and there's no... I mean, yeah, there's a back to it. There's there's a trend that you can see, but it only goes back how many years, you know? Yep, 10 it's, years. You it's got hard to rely on that. You know, say I was someone 50-some years old, yep. and I have all this retirement money, and I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to put into Bitcoin, but I have no fucking clue what's going to happen with it. Exactly. It's such a, yeah, like you said, it's a risk. Mm -hmm. And I feel like nowadays it's something you got to do. If you want to make it in life, you got to take a risk. If you want to kick ass with some money in stock market you take a risk you yep, know exactly um but that's just the part of the game yep that's fun yep <laughs> that's exactly right you know and and a lot of people uh make this statement that you know bitcoin is a a a, a bubble mm -hmm. and i question anyone who thinks that to first off look at bitcoin's price from a logarithmic so you can look at basically uh, stock charts in two ways. You can mm -hmm. look at it the linear perspective, which uh, the chart never changes. It's just, you know, straight amount of units up, straight amount of units to the right. What people want. Exactly. <laughs> and you can also look at it from the logarithmic perspective. And that gives basically powers of 10. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a really good way to look at Bitcoin because it shows you the more dramatic price action, but mm -hmm. from a growth perspective. And so, yes, there are boom and bust cycles. But at the same time, look at the same price action that you have from the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Right, yeah. If you look at that, it is literally, it looks like a, a peak. For, if you look at the 30 or 40-year chart, it, it's almost like it's going straight up in the air. Yeah. And so it's... When's it going to turn? Exactly. And it's the same yeah. kind of thing. If you believe in Bitcoin or you believe in XYZ cryptocurrency, you just have to suck it up, invest, and hold on to it. Yeah. Stop watching the day-to-day -day movements. Stop worrying about it. Yeah. And believe in it. If yeah. you believe in the Dow, which is for the most part just a summation of the health of the U.S. economy, I mean, realistically, or the companies therein, right? That's what you're investing in. So, at the end of the day, is that what you believe? Is that not what you believe? That boils down to your personal perspective. Right. Sorry, my this totally just whacked out on me. <laughs> Good. Um. One last thing I want to ask you here: um, Are you are you scared of the future and what's going to be coming with like technology and what we may be like switching into in terms of currency and what like that? Are you do you see it going somewhere where we just have zero control? I think for the most part, I'm probably the most worried about fiat currency. More than cryptocurrency. Okay. I think cryptocurrency is going to continue to grow. Yeah. It's going to continue to get recognition. Okay. People are going to start seeing that as other people use it. Yeah. It's going to become more of a realistic way to pay XYZ. Sure. Because more people use it, more people adopt it. It becomes mainstream. It becomes more valuable. My concern is probably the health of governmental economies. Yeah. Um, because you see an incredibly volatile, like we were talking about the Dow. Yep. 
it, it's incredible. I mean, it, it's if you see the price action, that it's unrealistic for us to grow from the crash in 2008. So basically a decade later, mm-hmm. more than doubled your money. Yeah. On, and just taking a shot in the dark and buying any stock. Mm-hmm. So since 2008, have you seen a two to 300% increase in your quality of life? That I think is up to you. Sure. Do you see your growth in your job, your productivity, the uh, performance of your car or, you know, just things in general? Have you seen them grow in a similar rate to that? Have you seen housing market grow 300%? And I think that's one of the weird areas where you'd say yes, but have wages grown alongside with that? Mm-hmm. Are you making two to three times what you did in 2008? Mm-hmm. You know, if you stayed in the same job, because you, there has to be consistency. You can't sure. just have stocks grow up, you know, a thousand percent in a year. Yeah. There has to be some reason for that value. It's got to follow. Exactly. There has to be a reason for that value to be there. Yes. The company has to grow a thousand percent. Mm-hmm which means that other things have to grow. So for example, if you make guitars, the value of your guitar goes up 10,000% either because the performance of your guitar, the quality Mm -hmm. or whatever. And usually if that goes up 10,000%, you're going to sell more, which means that the wood that you buy, you're going to have much, much, much more demand Mm -hmm. to meet the demand that you're having for your guitars, which means the value of that commodity is going to be more expensive. Exactly. Which means that the people who, you know, farm or, uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, you know, chopped on the wood, right? The, <laughs> yeah. The lumber mills, blah, yeah. blah, blah. They're going to have to hire more people. They're mm-hmm. going to have more profits. So that entire industry is going to grow. Everything outside of the strings, the metal that goes in your strings, if you have that much growth, you're going to see it cascade into everything else that goes into whatever your product Absolutely. is. And that's why I say everything's relevant. So when the Dow grows, do you see your daily life in general grow? Maybe not exactly with it, but comparable to it in some sure. aspect. And I said, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. So that's what concerns me is you see so much political instability in the world. You see, you know, regardless of whatever your political opinion is about the trade wars and in China and the United States and North Korea and all this crazy stuff on the news and all this constant obsession about presidents and politics in general. Yeah. I personally think the world just keeps getting crazier and crazier every it day. It does. It does. And you have this crazy inflation at least in my opinion, and this is this is where things get chaotic, is that the thing that people don't realize is interest rates are so low right now. That's usually the only tool that the government has to rejuvenate the economy when something mm-hmm. collapses. Yep. So if you've seen a collapse right now in the economy, it would be hell. It would be it would make two thousand eight look like a walk in the park because yep. they can't just lower interest rates to re incentivize growth. Yeah. Because there are the, the lever's already on the floor. Yeah. It can't go any lower. Yeah. So what's going to happen this time? And the thing is, everyone's going to pull their money at that point. Exactly. And people get scared. Yep. And then, like what happened in 2008, banks collapse. Yep. There's no money. You can't go lower interest rates because no one wants to put money into that. That's right. It's scary, man. Yep. Where and are we going to go? Yep. Just another bailout. But if, and, the, and the thing is, I don't think we've learned from the last time. Because I don't think any much has changed. In my perspective. Yeah. The spending is still continuing to rise. Exactly. Our debt is not decreasing. Um, taxes are still increasing. It's, um, yeah, it's weird. Yep. Um, and it's going to happen again, man. The, like you said, the trends go, I like your analogy here. If you're, if your lifestyle is not matching the trend, the mm-hmm. upward trend, yep. that's where you start to see that stretch. Yep. And that's where you start to see that break. Yep. And once that break hits, it comes right back down to you. Exactly. And there's nowhere to go. It's like the housing market. It's, 
the bubble is getting so big mm-hmm. there's always a break in the bubble in the housing market and we're due for a break it's what are we like three years over our normal life or cycle yep. of a break in the in yep. the housing market exactly and it houses like in the saint paul area are going for 50 percent, 60 percent of what people paid for them yep. and people are buying that all day exactly and they are just these houses go on the market and they're gone in 30 minutes mm-hmm. it is insane man and once this breaks people are going to go wild i i completely agree and i think this time people are more over leveraged than they were before i agree yeah because you look at car payments i think in general the mm-hmm. trends that you see you have people who are used to be 60 month or 48 or 60 month car payments you know going to 72 now going to it, 72 it's going to 80 it's good. Yeah. 72, 80 something months. Yeah. I think soon, eventually you're going to have a hundred plus month car payments. It's nuts. And it's not that the payments get any cheaper because no. people just buy more expensive cars then because they think, well, if it's going to be a hundred months, it means my car payments can be less, which means that I can afford more. So I'm going to buy a more expensive car. But I don't see that interest because I'm paying for, you know, it's like they don't realize that they're paying such a exactly. compound interest that exactly. you just threw away $10,000 yep. just to paying that bank. Yep. And and that goes into um, like buying a boat, for instance, some of these boats, 180 grand for a boat that can do the same thing. A boat that's 10 grand can do. Exactly. People pay for that because they give you it's like a mortgage. They give you a 20 year loan on this boat into the sense where it's, you can, you can afford it, you know, Mm -hmm. and people don't see that difference and they're willing to pay it. That's exactly right. It's crazy. Um, It's going to be a weird area and looking in the future, it's, (laughs) there's a lot that we need to watch. Um, One last thing. What's the advice advice you give people invest money, pull out and hold it. What do you, what do you have? I think from the stock market perspective, you're going to get a break in one of two ways. You're okay. either going to say the, you're either going to see the crazy world, which is going to go the Dow's going to go to hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and it's just going to be this euphoric, nothing bad can happen sort of perspective. Sure, and it will crash. Yeah, guarantee you. Or you start to see kind of uh, it unraveling at the seams right now, and you see maybe a last ditch effort for things to correct themselves without being too bad. Sure. And so I can only say that I hope it's relatively soon Mm -hmm. because, and I know people aren't going to want to hear that because a lot of people have a lot of investment and they're going to lose a lot of money. Yep. But I'd rather see things go back a little bit now and correct themselves. Than than this to being too late. Than it to just be this huge exponential growth and things be too bad to the point at which when it does crash, it's going to be the worst that's ever happened. And And no one can recover. Exactly. I'd prefer it to hurt a little bit to pretty moderate right now mm-hmm. than your entire life is going to change because the world has to change. It can't just do this. It can't yeah. just go up forever. Yeah. Because there's eventually a point where it comes back down. And it, it's going to. Yep. <laughs> and so whether that's cryptocurrency, whether that's stocks, whether it's whatever, I think really try not to overextend yourself on whatever you do. But for the most part, you know, I guess just try to be happy with not even necessarily just what you have, mm-hmm. but, you know, find your hobby and just put money into that and, you know, make yourself happy so that you're not so overexposed exactly. exactly yes to the financial markets yep. because you can obsess about that stuff all day. Oh, yeah. But at the end of the day, then your life just really becomes revolved around numbers that you don't control. And you don't have, it's not physically yours. You're paying on it. Exactly. It's so. like a, you know, a truck payment, whatever it, getting yourself in debt it's not it's not worth it yep that's exactly it's really right not because it's it's always going to be there 
Yep. And it's just going to be harder to pay off when something does happen. So that's right. Well, wow, dude, we stretched over an hour on that. Holy moly. That was a beauty. Um, Dude, thank you for coming on. You're I appreciate it. You're we need welcome. to do this again. That sounds like a blast. Um, Yeah, we'll be back on here, and we will be hitting it hard again. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it, man. Yep, no problem. Good to be here.